0: if you're new to Story Church, welcome. Glad to see you. Glad to worship. Uh, With you, uh, we are going through a sermon series that we're calling Embark. We're talking about life with God. And so we're talking about life with God and Embark. We're talking about the different spiritual disciplines uh, that God has given us in his word that put us on the paths of grace so we might look more and more like Jesus. And so this week and next week, we'll conclude the series. And then uh, the following week and the first weekend of December, we're going to start in the book of Ruth. And we're going to camp out in Ruth for all of December. And then January, we're going to start Galatians. So looking forward to that. Today, our discipline uh, is thanksgiving or gratitude. Now, most of this series has been based on Don Whitney's book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life And uh, Thanksgiving is not a chapter in that book. Uh, So I decided to make it a chapter uh, in that book, even though uh, Don Whitney won't write that. But I think it's an important discipline, practice, habit for you and I to continuously grow in as followers of Jesus. And also, I needed an extra sermon to get us into Advent, and it's Thanksgiving week, so we're doing it today. Now, have you ever asked yourself, what is the purpose of the church Like, why do we gather? Why do we baptize? Why do we fellowship? Why do we pray? Why do we take communion? Why do we sit under the authoritative and sufficient word of God? What is the end game of this? Why do we do this? Maybe you're thinking of matthew chapter twenty eight when Jesus says, "Go into all nations, make disciples baptize them Maybe that's what comes to mind for you that we're to be evangelistic, or maybe matthew twenty five comes to mind when Jesus says, I was thirsty and you give me a drink, and you think the purpose of the church is to be a social services agency. Maybe you think the church, the purpose of the church is to be kind of this bubble that we stay within to escape the ills of this world and yes hear me, the church should be evangelistic. We should go to all nations. We should baptize. We should provide justice and mercy. We should be a city on a hill and a refuge for the weary. But according to the text that Andrew just read for us, we have the purpose of the church. For this is the will of God, is what Paul says. What does he say is the will of God? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. We have evidence all over the scriptures, uh, the New Testament in particular, of what the purpose of the church is. Earlier in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says this, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Look at the screen. We have Ephesians 4, until we all attain, grow into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, womanhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, instead of that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Galatians 4 says this. I'm just going to read verse 19. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul's work, Paul's anguish, Paul's efforts is that Christ would be formed in the people he is discipling. So, When we're talking about the whole purpose of everything that's going on here, we are talking about spiritual maturity, attaining manhood, mature manhood, mature womanhood, looking more like Jesus. And here in this text, God's will for us to attain that stature is that we would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Said clearly, if we pursue a life of joy, prayer, and gratitude in all things, Christ will be formed in us. That's what Paul is saying here to us. So I'm going to briefly cover the first two commands here and then jump into Thanksgiving and camp out there for the rest of our day today. So he says, rejoice always. Joy is a Christian characteristic rooted in the gospel, It is not based upon our circumstances, but rather as Christians, we can have joy in all circumstances because even though our circumstances are changing, Christ is unchanging and his gospel is unchanging and his presence is unchanging. And because of those things, we can rejoice in all things. That's joy. Pray without ceasing. That's a confusing command at times. Does that mean I don't do anything else in this world except for pray? And the answer to that is no. J.B. Lightfoot, when commenting on this passage, says this, praying without ceasing is not a moving of the lips, but the elevating of the heart. It is about walking with God, aware of his presence, aware of his power, delighting in him, bringing everything to him in prayer. And then the final command here, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. That's Our spiritual discipline for today, Thanksgiving in all circumstances. So what is Thanksgiving? I think Thanksgiving is the consistent and specific expressing of gratitude to our God for his goodness in our lives. Let me say that again. Consistent and specific gratitude, expressing of our gratitude to our God for his goodness in our lives where we are numbering those things and counting those things and bringing that to God with consistency and specificity. Thank you, God, for your goodness. So here's what I want to do today. I want to walk through three things. Number one, reasons for thanksgiving. Number two, the consequences if we walk in thanksgiving. And then number three, practicing thanksgiving. All right, are we awake? Yeah. Who was that? Was that you, John? Wow. I like it. All right, first point, reasons for thanksgiving, reasons for thanksgiving. Now, I want to be clear here at the outset, I want to talk about explicitly Christian reasons to be grateful, to walk in thankfulness. Here's what I mean by that. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here, I'm so glad you are, but hear me, there's something that the Bible calls common grace, Common grace is something that God gives to everyone without partiality. So because he's good, because he's kind, because he's loving, he gives Christian and non-Christian alike some of the same realities. So we're talking about the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink, the cars we drive, the jobs we have. Christian and non-Christian alike, that has come from the hand of God, the giver of good gifts in his common grace. But I want to go deeper than those things this morning. I want us to talk about explicitly Christian reasons to be thankful. And the reason why, if you look back at verse 18, read it with me. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So when we're talking about all circumstances, we're talking about suffering and sickness. We're talking about joy and victory, hiring and firing, marriage and divorce. We're talking about death and birth, healing and affliction, fellowship and loneliness. We are talking about every circumstance that every person in this room can face. And here's the deal. Common grace realities crumble under the pressure of the hard circumstances of life. Here's what I mean by that. Six years ago, Katie's mom died, and we looked at each other consistently through that process and said to each other, I don't know how people who don't follow Jesus get through this stuff. I truly don't, because guess what? Food, alcohol, water, jo- none of those things can minister to the grieving heart who has lost a parent. We try, we try to satisfy ourselves in those ways, but it always fails, We're talking about a different type of goodness God gives us that can bear the weight of something like death and divorce and disease and doubt. We are talking about, for the Christian, when Katie's mom passes away, we read the scriptures knowing she's a follower of Jesus and say, for her, death was a passageway into light, or in life. And that pancreatic cancer is no more And her body is rid of that, and one day she will be resurrected with Jesus to a perfect body. And one day we will worship around his throne forevermore. That's not common grace. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is only the gospel that can sustain us through all circumstances. For the Christian, even though we're confused and beat down and perplexed, pressed in on, heartbroken, sad, lamenting, hurting, we can still be thankful not for the circumstance but in the middle of the circumstance. We were not grateful for death, but we were grateful that God was with us through the death of Beth. That rhymes. Not a good time for a joke. So explicitly Christian reasons to be thankful. You with me? Okay, so when I'm talking later on about listing things you're grateful for, it's all good and well to say, I'm grateful for the car and the promotion and the food and all the things. That's all good, and you should be grateful to God for that. But I wanna go a step deeper. I want to press in a little more into the gospel. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna list five reasons why we should be thankful, and I'm gonna read a ton of scripture And I'm going to read a ton of scripture because I want to show you that our gratefulness to God is based on true realities, not fickle feelings. You hear me? True realities that the Bible describes to us. Number one, Christians are thankful for what God has done for us. Romans 5, 8, and 10 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Non-Christian, that can be true for you today, turn and trust in Jesus, but Christian, we are thankful for what God has done for us. He has saved us. And we must, friends, drive that reality to a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. We have to remember that. You see, the cross is not some abstract mythological thing that maybe happened, maybe didn't. It is a true and brutal reality that God sent his only son, and he put on flesh, and he dwelt among us, and then he went to a cross and died in our place. And we think about this, and it's almost like he, Jesus, man, he, he was just looking at our lives, man, past, present, and future. And he got out one of those yellow legal pads, and he just began to list every sin we would commit against a righteous and holy God. And he wrote them down, every single one in thought, word, and deed you and I would ever commit against God. And he just listed and listed and listed those things. And he wrote that down, and then when he went to the cross, he nailed that legal pad right there on the cross. And as he hung and bled, his blood covered every one of those sins that was listed on the legal pad. And when he was brought down from the cross and buried in Joseph's tomb, the legal pad no longer listed our sins, but it says paid in full, forgiven, it is finished, set free. Christian, Jesus really, actually did this for you. And not in an abstract way that applies to everyone else, but in a specific way for you and your specific sins. I mean, good night. We have to be grateful for this. We have to remember the cross that Jesus saved us. We are thankful for what God has done for us. Number two, Christians are thankful for what God has given to us. What he has given to us. Psalm one hundred seven one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He has given us his unfailing love. Christian, God's impulse towards you is not discipline. God's impulse towards you is not turning his face away. God's impulse towards you is not to neglect you and run. His impulse towards you always is love. Is love. At your worst, it's love. At your best, it's love. I heard something this past week at a, at a conference we were at, and, and, and the speaker, he, he finished his sermon this way, telling a story of his kids. And, 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 and I've said this before, but it impacted me in a special way. He said, hey, listen, God has never loved you more than he has at this moment. God has never loved you less than he has at this moment. God loves you the most. Friends, that's true if you're in Christ. God loves you the most with an unfailing love. He's given that to us. 1 Corinthians 1 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Church, when we think of grace, I think all too often we think of it as a thing that happened to us on the day we came to salvation, whether you were six or 60 That God gave you a grace card, and then the next day you cash that in when you sinned again. That's not how grace works. Grace is an unending, inexhaustible well from the heart of God to his people. So every time you sin, every time you abandon him, he runs to you and gives you grace. We have an unending grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us victory, victory over death, victory over Satan, victory over the grave. Death has been swallowed up into victory, church. So for the Christian, death is just passageway into life. And then Psalm 119.62 says, At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. God has given us his word, and it is righteous. And when we follow his word, we will be blessed. That's what he has given to us, his heart and his word for us. We are thankful for what Jesus has done for us and what God has given to us. Number three, Christians are thankful for who God is to us. And when I'm talking about who God is to us, I'm talking about how he treats us. When you think of how God treats you, what do you imagine? Right? A a disciplinarian taskmaster? A distant quote-unquote father? Maybe your homeboy? I I don't know. But what do you think of when you think of how God treats you? The word tells us as God discloses himself to us. Exodus says this. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, here he is, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. How does God treat you, Christian? He is good to you. He is faithful to you. He is just towards you. He is father, he is friend, he is helper. This is who God is and how he treats you. And we are grateful for that. And it is unchanging because God is unchanging. Number four, Christians are thankful for the future God has promised to us. Philippians one six says, "And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." Friends, in my in my walk with Jesus for the past fifteen or so years, there have been seasons where I have struggled with doubt and assurance of salvation. Truly wondering, am I am I actually like saved? Like, am I a part of the kingdom? Right, and I feel safe sharing that with you guys. Um, and maybe some someone in here struggles with that as well. And when I go through that, I drive myself back to this verse because it reminds me, I didn't save myself. I'm not gonna lose my salvation. Jesus saved me, and he has promised he will keep me and he will complete that which he has started. This is a beautiful Beautiful passage for the Christian walking through doubt. If you're wondering, does Jesus love me? Look to your conversion. He is keeping you. If you're wandering, if it's, if it's not two steps forward and one step back, but it's just like 430 steps back constantly, he will still complete which he started. You didn't save yourself. You're not going to lose your salvation. He has promised you a future, and he will keep you until that day. The future God has promised us is of a living hope. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have a living hope. Because Jesus is alive, your hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive, you will live forever in him. And nothing and no one can take, change that. We have a future of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be thankful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When this kingdom of this earth is, is in earthquake mode, right? Topsy-turvy, up and down, crazy, being shaken all the time around us. We grip ourselves to the reality that Jesus' kingdom is untouched and it is perfect and it is not shaken and it will never change. That's what we're heading towards. We look forward to paradise with Jesus. The words that Jesus says to the thief on the cross, He says to every Christian in this room: You will be with me in paradise, we will dwell with Him forever. We will see him. And we look forward to resurrection. It's 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Those who trust in Jesus, though our bodies decay, our minds are filled with doubt, we wander from Jesus, we wonder if it's true. We feel the brokenness of this world, and yet we know our future is a future of resurrection with perfect minds, perfect bodies, perfect hearts. Sin is no more. Disease is no more. Satan is no more. It is just worship of Jesus forever. That's our future. Final one here. Christians are thankful because God is always with us. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Psalm 139.8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. For the Christian, we hear the words of Jesus, fear not for I am with you. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't turn tail and run when things get hard. But we remember our great high priest, Jesus, who faced everything we faced in ways we cannot even imagine. And then he sends his spirit to dwell in us, to carry us through those moments. We look to our great high priest who is with us. So Christian, we have a plethora of reasons beyond common grace to be thankful to God. We have the reality that Jesus has saved us, that God has given us his love and grace and mercy, that we know God treats us by his character, not ours, which, is, which means God gives us steadfast love and forgiveness. We thank God for the future he has promised to us, that our best days are not behind us, but ahead of us. And we thank God that he is always with us, even in the darkest of nights, in the lowest of circumstances. Give thanks to God in all circumstances, because who he is and what he's done. Next point consequences of Thanksgiving. So we have reasons for Thanksgiving. Now let's talk about the consequences of Thanksgiving. When I'm talking about consequences, uh, we know that word is, is modified by the words around it. So consequence can either be negative or positive. Proverbs is a good example of this. Proverbs says, if you work, you will eat. That is a positive consequence of working. If you don't work, you will not eat. That is a negative consequence of not working. This is the same thing when we're talking about Thanksgiving. We are talking about if we pursue a life of gratitude and thankfulness, here's the consequence of it. Here's what it will produce in us. If we refuse a life of Thanksgiving and gratitude, here's the things it will produce in us. In other words, when we pursue Thanksgiving, it makes something happen in us and it snuffs the old man out as well. Something of the new man is produced in us and something of the old man is pushed out. Here's what I mean by that. First, Thanksgiving will eliminate bitterness and produce delight. It will eliminate bitterness and produce delight. A poisonous plant in Bible times was called a bitter root. A bitter root is something metaphorically that can happen in the heart of a Christian or in an entire church. And most often that bitter root is born out of uh, tolerating your sin. Here's what I mean by that. If you're you're by yourself and as an individual Christian, you have sin within you that you know you need to repent of and turn away from and you refuse to do that, you will be tolerating your own sin and it will produce bitterness in your soul. In entire churches, bitter roots can take hold. A little leaven leavens the whole lump is what the scripture tells us. And when we're talking about bitterness in relation to God that... that that means we're not being grateful, it most often comes about by us thinking God has made a mistake with our lives. That God, I should have this, this, and this. That my life should look like that, that, and that. And if it doesn't look like my plan, but it looks like God's plan, then he made a mistake, and now I'm bitter towards him. I am claiming him to be someone who makes mistakes. By thereby sinning against him. And this bitterness just takes root in our heart. And the way we uproot that bitterness is by living in a posture of thanksgiving. We're not saying we're thankful for the explicit circumstances, but we're thankful in the middle of the circumstances. You want your life to look like this, but instead it looks like that, and maybe that sucks, okay? We can just say that out loud. And it's hard, And maybe you're suffering, but in the middle of it, you can still say, thank you, God, that you are with me in the middle of the suck. And so you live this life of thanksgiving, and you uproot bitterness, and you set into delight. God is with me. God is for me. Nothing has changed that. I will worship him. Number two, thanksgiving eliminates comparison and produces contentment. We try to talk about comparison at Story Church all the time for numerous reasons. Um, Number one, it stinks. Number two, it's the evil of our day, and it's a potential evil of our church. And when we walk in comparison, we are not being thankful people because we look out at the all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5, of other people, and we say, why don't all my circumstances look like those circumstances? And instead of being grateful, we walk in grumbling. They got the promotion. They got the house. They got the car. I wanted the girlfriend. She got, he got the girlfriend, not she. He got the girlfriend. I wanted the things. She got the things. And we compare, and then we grumble against God. Thanksgiving, rather, will produce contentment. Contentment that says, I don't have everything I want But I have everything I need, and that's enough. Contentment says, my circumstances are difficult, but thank you, Jesus, you're consistent with me in the circumstances. That when things are hard, you are still with me. And we are content because Jesus is enough, not a change of circumstance. Number three, Thanksgiving eliminates envy and produces satisfaction. Another effect downstream from comparison is it produces a green heart of envy. A heart heart held captive by envy will never be a satisfied heart because there is always something or someone else to envy. I mean, think about this. Bill Gates can envy Jeff Bezos because Jeff Bezos has more money than Bill Gates. And they can both envy Elon Musk because he has the most money. And Elon Musk himself can look down in history and say, hey, that King Solomon, I wish I had as much money as he did. There is always someone or someone else to envy who has it better than you or more than you. And when we are not in a posture of thanksgiving, we cannot see all the good that we do have. We cannot truly be satisfied in the things that God has given to us and God has entrusted to us. And so when we feel envy rising in our souls as Christians, we begin to number the things that we are thankful for from God's hand to our lives. And it produces satisfaction in our souls. Because God knows how to care better for us than we do ourselves. Number four... Thanksgiving eliminates discouragement and produces courage. Now, in life, discouragement is almost always a product of unmet expectations. Almost every time you're discouraged, it's because your expectations were not met. And when it comes to God, we begin to put expectations on Him. And oftentimes, our expectations of Him are born of our own hearts, not of the Word. And most often, our expectations of God are a life of ease, a life of comfort, and a life that doesn't have any trials. And listen, I hope that for every one of us in this room, I hope you have a life free of trials. But just to let you know, if you're following Jesus, that won't happen. Jesus says we will suffer with him, that the cross comes before the crown. That this world is not the best there is, but the world with him to come is the best there is. And so when we have these expectations that are oriented towards a life of ease and comfort and lack of trial, when legit suffering comes our way or legit trial comes our way, we are discouraged because we think God failed to meet our expectations of him. And so what we must do is go to the word, orient our expectations, and be grateful for God fulfilling what he promises to us, that when you suffer, he will comfort you in the affliction, that when you suffer, you're not alone in your suffering, that when trials come your way, he promises to be there with you in the trial. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Who, who is in them in the fire there with them? It's Jesus. Who's in the fire with you? Who's in the trial with you? It's Jesus. That's the expectation you should have, Christian. Not of a life devoid of trials, but of a life where Jesus is present with you in the suffering and trials, and we are grateful to him. And what does that gratefulness produce? Courage. Courage to press on. Courage to face today. Courage to face tomorrow. We can face tomorrow because Jesus is with us. Fifth and final one here. Thanksgiving eliminates anxiety and produces faith. Anxiety is really just fear of the future. The word tells us why worry about tomorrow? Today has enough challenges in of itself. And the opposite of anxiety about the future is faith in the present. Not some kind of fake peace where we act like everything's okay and we sweep reality under the rug. But faith stares reality in the face and says, fear not tomorrow, for tomorrow is one. You see, Jesus is already in tomorrow. Jesus is already working in tomorrow. Jesus is already working on your behalf in tomorrow tomorrow. And so we fear not for tomorrow because Jesus is already there working according to his will, and his will is for your good. And so we trust and we walk in faith knowing that Jesus is working for us. So when we're talking about the consequences of Thanksgiving, we're talking about hearts that are full of faith and courage and satisfaction, contentment and delight, which sounds a whole lot better than cynicism to me which sounds a whole lot better than skepticism and hard-heartedness to me. I want that, and I know the pathway towards that is a life of thanksgiving. So final point here, how can I practice thanksgiving? How can we practice walking in thanksgiving over the course of our lives? Number one, make a huge deal of the good you have in life. Make a huge deal of it. Speak it, proclaim it, share it, write it down, remember it. Look backwards and look forwards. Remember the good you do have in this life. I think about my life, and I don't deserve Katie. I don't deserve Peyton and Owen. That word deserve needs to be eradicated from my vocabulary unless it's in relation to God giving me everything I don't deserve. I don't deserve this. You guys, fellowship, prayer, a church family. I mean, how good is this? I need to make a huge deal of the good that I have in this life. And most prominently, I have a Savior who looks me in the eyes and says, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I forgive you. You're going to be with me forever. Make a huge deal of the good you have, Christian. Number two, sensitize yourself to grumbling and complaining. Um, when you sense yourself beginning to complain about your life, catch yourself. I'm not saying ignore it. Catch yourself and then express gratitude to God. Uh, last night, we got to have a fun night, um, but I don't like being out on Saturdays. Uh, I kind of have an important job on Sundays. And so we're out late and we're driving home and I'm beginning to grumble and I'm beginning to, I'm uh, not beginning, it's been going on for a while. And, and Katie just looks at me and she's like, I can't say it. Be quiet in, in less proper terms. Um, <laughs> be quiet. You just got to do this, 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 and this. Like you were allowed to be a part of this, this, and this, and this. And she caught me, and I have to do better at catching myself when I'm grumbling and complaining. I would rather be a person who's not known for that, but known for being grateful. Have you ever been around a grateful person? You look at them, and you're like, Is this an act? Like, that's got to be fake. I worked with a guy in Texas by the name of Steve Harden, old man, did ministry for like 40 years. He's seen the worst of the worst, and he is the most grateful person I've ever been around. And for the first like six months, I was just like, dude, stay away from me. You're not selling me that bill of goods. And then I got close to him, right? And it's funny, but then I got close to him. And he was actually grateful to God. And he had faced some of the worst things in life. And Jesus carried him through that. And he wasn't known for grumbling and complaining, but gratitude. I want that to be my testimony. I want that to be our testimony. Story Church. Number three. You, you make a daily list of the things you're thankful for, your notes app, Google Docs, text messages, conversation around dinner, journal it. If you're into that, do it with your home group. I don't care how you do it, but maybe at the end of each day, you just write down the things you're thankful for. And, and again, let's drive it a little bit deeper than I had oxygen today. Be thankful for that. Hear me, be thankful for that, but drive it a little deeper. Okay, Maybe an example of that is you you sinned and come some kind of way. You went to a person, you asked their forgiveness, and they granted you forgiveness. Be grateful to God for that. That's not in human nature to forgive. That is the work of the Spirit to make someone do that. Make a daily list of the things you're thankful for. Number four, surround yourself with grateful people. Um, Have you ever heard of mob mentality? Like there's a group of people, they kind of have something they share in common, there's usually a leader. Uh, Mob mentality is a very real thing in life. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, I got to play golf with a group of guys, and mob mentality really took over here. Uh, One of the guys, the leader amongst the guys, was not playing well, and he wanted to make sure that everyone else around him didn't play well. And so he tried to bring us all down, right? Right? making phone calls in the middle of back swings and like just throwing things and walking, and, like all the things, like trying to bring us down, okay? And then we turned to the back nine and I was just like, forget that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good day out here. And I started playing well and he came up to me and he's like, hey, what are you trying to have a good day or something? Like we're not supposed to be having a good day. Like mob mentality was taking root in this situation. This is true of our life of gratitude. If all we're ever around is cynical, grumbly, gossipy, angsty, like, I'm going to stop myself what I was going to say right there. Those kind of people, like, we're going to become that. We're not going to be grateful. So what do we do? We get around people who are grateful. We surround ourselves with gratitude, and we must see it in our own lives. It is infectious. Finally, number five, enjoy more of God's good gifts. Christians of all people should be able to enjoy the things of this earth with the most vigor and vitality and gratitude because we know the secret and the secret is it comes from the hand of God. Right? So within wisdom and within reason, as the Bible describes it, we should be a people who celebrate more, who mark occasions more, who feast more, who pop a bottle of wine once in a while and, and toast a little bit more to the goodness of God in our lives, who, who, who just celebrate the good gifts God has given to us. We need to party more and we need to party better. And hear me, I'm not talking about partying in the way you're thinking right now. I'm talking about in a distinctly Christian way where we get with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we cook a fat bird and we eat it and we celebrate it and we sit around and we count God's goodness to us because the ways God has been good to us in this room is innumerable and we should be grateful and we should party more, church, so we can practice thanksgiving in these ways. So the will of God for you, church, is that you would rejoice always, you would pray without ceasing, and you give thanks in all circumstances. My hope is that we would be known as a church who grows in thanksgiving over time. So each week with this series, we've been trying to give just one challenge. What can we all walk in over the course of this week? Here here it is for us um, on the screen. Write down at the end of each day, if you can, an answer to each of these sentences. Because of the gospel, I am thankful that Fill it in. Because of the future, Jesus promises me, I am thankful that. Fill it in. Because God was with me today, I am thankful that. And fill it in. So let me give examples of what I wrote down this morning. Because of the gospel, I am thankful that I am forgiven of the sin of speaking harshly to Katie and my kids. Forgiven by her and forgiven by Jesus. Number two, because of the future, Jesus promises me I'm thankful that my wife is going to worship with her mom forever. She's alive. Because God was with me today, I am thankful that even though I'm worried about what tomorrow holds, God will be with me then. This is true. Christian, we have so much to be thankful for. Can we number those things and be a grateful church? God is with us. God is for us. God has not abandoned us. If we believe this, we have nothing but gratitude in our lives. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you that you are with us and for us, that you are not against us, that you carry us through all things. Thank you that when Jesus was torn off the cross, the legal pad read, paid in full, Thank you that when he was risen from the grave, he defeated death. Thank you that for the Christian, we too have defeated death because Jesus defeated it on our behalf and we will step into life forever. Thank you that as we await our future resurrection here and now between coming to salvation and faith becoming sight, in the in-between, you are with us and you are for us. You are present, you are real, you are active and you love us, You give us good. Help us, God, to see all of those really good things and to number those things and to be a grateful people. And out of that gratitude, God, would you produce within our hearts satisfaction and contentment, joy and delight, courage and faith. If anyone in this room, God, is not a follower of Jesus, would you draw them to yourself now and show them that all of this can be true of them too. Pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.